Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Mailbag where we answer your questions to help you build a team this 2023 pre-season. My name is Damo and joining me as usual is Clarky. How are you, mate? Very, very good. I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, our very special guest this week comes from the coaches panel currently doing their 50 most relevant series, which is very entertaining and providing some good discussion. It's MJ. Thank you so much for coming on. Damo, Clarky, lovely to see you guys and um, pleasure to be on here and talking some super coach with you. MJ, doing this 50 most relevant series, I'm sure took some time to plan. How did you decide who the 50 most relevant players were or are? And has doing all this research swayed you on anyone you weren't originally going to pick? Oh, a hundred percent. And and so the, the unique thing about what the coaches panel does is it doesn't just focus on super coach. It also looks at AFL fantasy, AFL dream team, and even handles the seasonal and keeper leagues as well. So it's a little bit of a one-stop shop. So the 50 most relevant as a byproduct of that brings in players that in certain formats kind of get weighted higher or lower. A perfect example is we had Ben Cunnington when we were doing the 50 most relevant. In some people's eyes in the community, especially probably Supercoach, in the 40s, they're going, Oh, there's a bit more upside there than that. But in AFL fantasy, where his price point was, it, it kind of almost put him at the irrelevant status. And, and so there have probably been half a dozen to a dozen guys that as you do the research, and it's probably about five hours individual players by the time you get to the 50. The list normally starts at about 150. And then it's the elements of prices, positions, trades, discounts, all those kind of things that come in that that really inform the 50. And then at the end of the day, it's pretty much my perspective. And it's not a, I'm right, you're wrong. It's these are guys I think that are worth having a conversation about. And let's look at the nuances of both sides of this individual and try to give coaches the information they need to make the decision for themselves. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things that you guys do as a mantra, which is uh, something I, I've taken to heart, is the fact that you, you're you very clear that it's not about telling someone you should pick you know, Elliot Yo or you shouldn't sure. pick Elliot Yo. It's about fostering a discussion around someone's relevance and all of those aspects that maybe affect someone's ability to select them. Yeah, absolutely. And we all have confirmation bias. We all have emotional tendencies, either because of teams we love or hate or a player burnt us in the past. And so uh, good, hopefully good fantasy content creators, and and you guys certainly sit into that mix, and and there's plenty of them across the the super coach and broader fantasy community, is try to help people get rid of those biases that are there, do in-depth analysis, give people the information they need, and then go go and build your team and, and, and not become a, a crowd follower or a cookie cutter um, just because everyone else is doing something. And you've decided the order before you release them. So Tom Stewart was obviously number 10 today. Yes. Has he always been number 10 or no. has the – No. So, <laughs> no. so, so it, it, so it, it moves. It's, it it moves as the preseason goes along, right? Okay. So, for an example, someone like a, a Sam Walsh in one of the initial drafts was inside the fifty. He, he comes out with a, a back injury, surgery, not going to be back in time, likely for round one. Okay, you start to fade out uh, of contention, um, and so there's a lot of movements. Even 
probably up until two to three days ago, I didn't lock into my top 10 exact order. There were guys that were always in pockets and areas, but there are people that have faded in and out of the 50 all the time. What's What's the worst part is when you get to the top 10 and if one of them gets injured, it's like oh, no. that that's the killer. So I'm just like crossing fingers, like no more significant injuries to just nine more players um, and we can get through it unscathed. So yeah, it moves pretty regularly and freely. Um, the only thing that hasn't changed, there's a lot that has. The number one player hasn't changed all preseason. This person's been locked away the whole preseason. I love that. That's the real tantalizing taste. When you're done listening to this podcast, listeners, go straight over to 50 Most Relevant. Get hyping yourself up for that number one. So number one hasn't changed. Do you think that they will? Only an injury to that player will make them move. I I look at this particular player and I, I struggle to see a narrative that I could find anyone would say why they won't pick this player Um, across all formats, across all variations. And I'm always up for taking on a popular opinion and taking on the crowd. I'm I'm certainly not anti that, but this particular player that stayed at number one, I think if you go against them, uh, you are asking for a lot of pain and hoping for a lot of luck to go your way to be able to make that successful. And even if that happens, such a vast majority of coaches want to own this player or are finding ways to own this player that most strong coaches are in the same spot anyway and you won't really have gained much of an advantage anyway. So that that might be alluding to a few things. You might be able to figure it out. Let's be honest, there's only like nine players to go. So you, you can kind of do the math pretty easily, but... Yeah, no, this guy hasn't moved, and barring him getting injured, he will not move. I had a good time there watching Damo's face going, oh, I think I can maybe figure this out. <laughs> Counting down the nine, isn't it? And, and and like our Patreon supporters already know who's at nine, and depending on when this gets out, it might be public as well. So uh, lots of different things uh, uh, sitting along there for people to try to figure it all out. Which Either way, regardless of ranking, they're all relevant. They are. Oh, absolutely, and so and that's you, know, you set up beautifully, Clarky. Before we just love having a conversation about these players. These are all the ten, twelve guys that are a part of the coaches panel. Although often it's me you hear on every podcast. There's a power of people behind the scenes as other content creators, the researchers, the writers, social media content creators. There's a, there's a power of people behind it, and whenever we catch up for a drink or see each other, or footy, these are the conversations we have, and. Uh, we're pretty much just hit and record on the way we would speak to each other anyway uh, about players that interest us. All right, let's get to the questions. We've got a few from the community. The first question comes from Ryan. He sent us an email. He wants to know, is Jai Amos at 247,000 a realistic option to consider as a point of difference for the forward line? If we look at last season, his debut season, he scored a 75 against North Melbourne during the season and then a 48 against the Bulldogs in that elimination final and a 64 against Collingwood in that semifinal. So that gives him a 62.3 average, which based on this year's uh, magic number, probably makes 80K as a slow burn. I mm-hmm. don't think the job security is a problem, but he's no. awkwardly priced and not a great investment really. 
Um, even Oscar Allen at 35k cheaper feels like a better option. Where do you guys sit on this? Um, my initial take is always when it comes to guys that you're trying to make some money off is, is someone a lower price point able to match the scoring output and have the same level of job security on the side. At the end of the day with our cash cows, they're here to do one thing, make us money. We want to get some decent points on the field, but you can't generate cash for us to get us up to our premiums if you're not playing consistently. And so for that guy that asked that question, the the attraction of Amos is that he should be best 22. He should play most weeks. But when you look at just the guys lower than that, you, you Damo mentioned a, a beautiful option there in Ed Allen. I don't like some of these options, but then you've got a, a Josh Bruce who moving down back to play for the Bulldogs is at a cheaper price and could score at a comparable level. Ben King coming off an ACL, about 100000 cheaper and will have that same level, level of job security. And then there's a couple of guys that in club land are, are getting some really nice talk. So you've got Menzi out of Essendon, a, another taller forward type. Pedler out of the Crows, who seems to be, if he can stay fit, he's got a spot in that best 22. And all of Melbourne's supporters are, are just waiting for one particular key position forward from their club in Van Royen to, to be able to debut, and they're desperate for him. So I, I would say... I think there are guys that have comparable, if not better, scoring that are at a cheaper price and have the same level of job security. So I'd say no to that. I think the, the way that the question is worded, and this is obviously no, um, <laughs> no, no shout out to you, Ryan, but you know, you you saying that you're considering him as a pod option for the forward line. So that to me says that you you'd be better on him to go big rather yeah. than to generate economy, which is kind of, uh, for me, that's a really scary jump in logic to make. Well, this guy has gone 247 in his first season and he's going to come into his second season and completely break the bank and become the next Tom Hawkins. Um, you know, I, I, I feel bad because it does sound overwhelmingly <laughs> negative mm. to come out and go, I just, I don't see it. Um, and the other side of the table being if you're why why would you consider a pod in your economy um in terms of your economic development if it's the other side of the coin there i mean i definitely think that damo's correct he could be a slow burn and Mm. some some of the really good forwards are but you know um yeah you guys have said it best when when there's better options that are cheaper that are going to make you that money um and yeah, I've said a lot about economy over the past few weeks as well and risk mitigation um, in terms of who you're selecting as well. So that's that's the main thing that you're wanting to secure yourself in rather than selecting a point of difference if it's for economy. But if you really believe that he has that option to go, you know, even, you know, Giamis would have to be what, maybe a top 30, top 50 generously forward go right from the bottom to right near the top to really have made a difference for you. Next question comes from Mitch in our website comments. He wants to know why is Callum Mills flying under the radar? There's probably one big reason that's scaring people off Callum Mills. And unfortunately he himself is, had an interview with Fox footy just in the past few days that has not put any water on that fire. And the concern would be 
that both Longmire and Mills himself are quite happy if the momentum is against the Swans to have him go down back to play as the seventh or eighth defender and to move himself off the ground. I think that's one of the concerns, um, but I'm not too concerned by that. What I am concerned is in the back half of the season, um, I wrote about this when we featured Mills in the 50 most relevant, is his role in the second half of the year did start to move away from a centre bounce first midfielder to a pretty level split between wing and centre bounce. And when he's on the outside, yes, he's got that athletic endurance, that ability to get uncontested possessions and get into space. But really for Supercoach, we actually really want Mills getting contested possessions. We want him using the ball well by foot. The uncontested possessions and marks can can take them or leave them. We'll probably take them because we'll take every point we can get. Uh, But we really want Mills playing to the forefront of what his strengths are. So I think those two elements combined where Mills has said he's got a license to drift back to stop momentum added to the fact then that he started to spend some time drifting to the wings has probably cooled the community on him. But my take on that is, what's the worst he could be? Maybe five points down on what he's priced at? Maybe eight points down on what he's priced at? And so I look at someone like a a Callum Mills as someone that if you want to, Go against the grain, and it's not in a ridiculous way we're going against the grain. We're talking a guy that's gone back-to-back seasons of 110-plus in Supercoach. We're talking about a guy who's shown he's got double-ton ceiling potential in him. If you didn't have Callum Mills in that game against Hawthorne last year, oh, there was nothing more painful, let alone (laughs) if he had the the captaincy or vice-captaincy on him. So at at 6% ownership at, at time of recording, He's the kind of guy I go, I see why the community's off him. And, and I don't think that's, there's flaw in that logic. There's absolutely not. But I look at that and go, he's coming in at a 116 average and there are really good splits of last two years where he's got some 130 potentials in him. And so Mills is the kind of guy I, I want in my end of season side if I can get him. He did last year off little to no preseason. Um, the wing role is the only concern, not the drifting back for me. Um, and for what it's worth, I'm currently starting Callum Mills. Interesting stat I read the other day was um, Callum Mills only attended seven centre bounces for the whole grand final. Yeah. So it just shows how quickly Longmire and Mills himself will move him when uh, things aren't going to plan. And as you said, Mills said himself this week that he'll rotate between midfield and defence depending on the state of the game. So I can see why people are worried about him because a Mr. Fix-It can sometimes have pretty volatile scoring. Um, But in saying that, he's probably one of those players that you will want in your team at least from, from, from the buys after the Sydney's buy. So... If you're not starting him, I think he's probably one of your one of your first or second targets. Yeah, I think the the Callum Mills issue, he's been in and out of my team, I think, all preseason because that two hundred game sits in my mind as a pain point of last year. <laughs> and 
when you've got a guy with that level of ceiling, it's hard to bet against them. Um, but also, it's it's the same. It's kind of same, same, but different with the Max Gorn conversation, yeah. where we know that there's going to be some kind of split. But it's hard when we're still in you know reasonably early preseason, and all we've got are presses where they go, oh, well, you know, he's going to play a little bit defensively and in the mid as to what the team needs. Um, Sydney as well, you know, people are betting on Goulden and Warner as well alongside Callum Mills for, I would probably say, the top three Sydney picked players uh, or it have to be close to. I, I personally am big on Goulden. So there's only a certain amount of those minutes that kind of, kind of go around. So it's going to really show, I think, by the time we get around to... Uh, I don't know what are we calling it this year. It's not JLT. It's not the the, the preseason series of whatever. Yeah. I don't know. The yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever the sing the single match that we get to look at, I think will yeah. tell a lot of whether people are going to start Callum Mills or not. I think if you are starting Callum, you've got to look at that back half of the year and go from round fifteen onwards. He went in an average of one hundred and seven in Super Coach. Are you at the price point you're paying at a 115? Are you happy to get him knowing that's probably the basement of what he will be? On the flip side, in the first 13 games of the year, he went an average of 122. That's probably the upside. So I think with Mills, it's are you happy for potentially six to eight points of deviation either side? At his best, he'll push the top three to five midfielders for you comfortably. At his worst, he probably slips out of the top 10. Uh, midfielders by average, but if you can handle that, that that will re- alleviate some of the frustration because everybody else that doesn't start him, I can tell you, they don't care that he's going 105. They'll be jumping on a price because what you just said, Clark, is right. That 200 sits in the mind. That ceiling is there. And if you can get him at value, people will jump on, even if he's not the 115, 120 guy. Yeah. And it's not a Bryce Gibbs 200 either. It's a proper two, It's a proper two, 200. <laughs> <laughs> it really happened yeah that's right next question comes from Jevs. he sent us an email uh, he says his team is 95% set but he's now considering the buy rounds mm-hmm. surely it's a no-brainer to start Tom Stewart and or Took Miller given that it gives you an extra premium for the other three buy rounds I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a no-brainer but I'd absolutely say it's got to be a significant factor. And um, a no-brainer means that if you don't, your team is in trouble. And given the high volume of trades we have in Supercoach, we have now more trades than ever before. There are some AFL fantasy parallels that have been able to bring over to the game and, and with trade boosts as well. Um, the game is changing from what it was three four, five, even 10 years ago when I first started to play. So back then it was your buy structure really matters at the start. The premiums matter. You want the biggest guys for the longest period of time, all of that kind of thing. And so no brainer, no, because structurally what you can do is you can prioritize them as one of your first upgrades. However, if you are torn between a Mills and a Miller, that buy round can be the decider. If you're stuck between a Stewart and a Dawson, that buy round can be a decider. And we talked about this just the other day on, on one of our podcasts uh, in the fact that those 
three weeks are really hard to navigate historically. And fielding a best 18 when it's just Gold Coast and the Cats, it's going to be a walk in the park. And, and there really is only two premiums we're, we're genuinely considering. Yes, Duncan and Anderson. Wits is probably an unlucky third to not be included in that. Um, but really it's Stewart and Miller that people are looking at from a structural perspective. Uh, if you can't decide, let the buy round get it there. But being able to know that with Stewart and Miller, you could have vice captaincy and captaincy options running through there. Like that is a beautiful thing to be able to have rolling through there. If you look at Stewart's opponents through the buys, based off 2022 data, it's a decent run too. So uh, I wouldn't say it's a no brainer, but is it an absolute, very logical, strong, sound pick? without question and I think a lot of switched on coaches will be looking to have multiple players from that round 13 by to alleviate some selection headaches in rounds 12 14 and 15. I'm not starting Tom Stewart he is what going to be one of my first upgrade targets but he doesn't play that many games at GMHBA before the Geelong buy and his average at the other venues, I did a quick exercise to work this out. His average at other venues isn't fantastic. So I I fully expect his price to drop before it goes back up again in the latter half of the season. So he is one of my first upgrade targets. Um, but I, I mean, there's no issue with starting him. It's just there's going to be a little bit of a dip probably because they're not playing that many games at GMHBA. And uh, so I don't think, as you said, MJ, I don't think it's a no-brainer to start them, but they're probably players that you will want in your team before too long. It makes sense why people would want to go for them too. It's, I've got it there. I know I can plan for it. I can alleviate. And with Stewart, I think five of his last seven are at GMHBA. Now, some of the the data splits from, I think it's like 120 plus in Supercoach last year and, and down around the 90 marker at other stadiums. One of them includes that concussion subbed game. So, so there is an element of some loaded data in there, but you're absolutely right, Damo historically Geelong and he play that ground just so freaking good. Um, the other attraction to starting Stewart is he is value based on what he did. He's that kind of guy that there was a hot run of games in the middle of last year that if you didn't own Tom Stewart, it, look, it's not at the Callum Mills level of I am hating this game and I'm ready for a new season to begin. But, but there was a stretch of games there last year that Tom Stewart, if you didn't have him, you were really battling against the crowd. Um, and so for me, I, th- I think it was the first 11 weeks um, or seven weeks he was going, it was seven weeks at, at 120 uh, in, in Supercoach last year. So, man, you pay for a guy at 109 and you're getting 120. Ooh, happy days. But I, I'm with you a bit, Damo. I'm, I'm looking for a sign of a tag and looking for a slow game, something to jump on because the other risk with Stewart is we know a rest will come at some point with him. Yeah, I believe Geelong have come out and said that they expect there to be more resting of some of the more veteran players during the season this year as well. Um, I think my my notes on that question pretty much come down to, I, I agree, it's, it, it is a no-brainer and it, it's not a no-brainer at the same time. 
um, considering your buy structure is super important, but also MJ, I think you made um, that really good point about the fact that super coaches kind of evolved from a point where, well, if you didn't plan for the buys, it was disastrous. Um, trade boosts and the increased number of trades, I think have made navigating them a little bit less treacherous still can be season defining if you're unprepared. Um, but there's also like there's always going to be the question where you know if starting a Stewart or a Miller prevents you from getting someone else that you're really hot on or you're really confirmed about. Um, I'm a big fan of telling people to feel comfortable with the team that you have and don't feel that you've just made a team based on what other people have been telling you. You know, we all make our own informed decisions. We know, well, okay, if I'm not going to pick Stuart because I think Jordan Dawson will be better then by all means, that's the better team for you. But just take it on board and go, well, I know that Stuart will be a prime upgrade target for me during these times or what have you. Um, so I think that's that's probably the biggest thing. I think people are still kind of evolving their mentalities in general as a community. We all are about how we navigate these buys because, I mean, there's a there's a realm now where some people had trade boosts introduced last year or the year before. and um, just never used one the whole year just mm-hmm. had them there just didn't use them there are some people who saved them up and then blasted them all out during the buys to restructure their team which is also completely valid so there's there's multiple ways to approach the buys now this next question comes from our website comments it actually came from a, a group of people and it spawned a, a big discussion in our replies on our, uh, on our uh, team advice thread. We love you, community. Bless you. Should you start someone with high ownership, even if you don't want to, is it worth playing the percentages on someone you're not totally sold on? I'm super interested to hear what you two have to say about this because I have been agonizing this whole week and it's going to be... It's, it might sound a bit strange, but there's just something in my brain that's not loving seeing either Tim Taranto or Jacob Hopper in my team at the moment, or both of them um, at the same time in my team, maybe one of them I could live with, but I switched Tim Taranto to Stephen Canelio earlier this week. And like I was saying before, I've been feeling a lot happier when I've opened up that little green app. My, my mind immediately goes back to last season and George Hewitt. I was, I was adamant that I wasn't going to have George Hewitt in my side. He was a trap. He wasn't going to score that well. He was going to be used as a tagger. There wasn't going to be that scoring production from him because Carlton have always used a, a tagger in previous seasons. Michael Voss comes along, doesn't use a tagger. For, after the first two games, I knew pretty quickly that if I didn't have George Hewitt in my team... I was going to go backwards. So I had to do a corrective trade um, to, to bring him in. And I had to get rid of someone who wasn't really doing the job that I thought they would when I built my team before the, before the season began. So, and, and this year for me, that player is Jacob Hopper, but I've gone the other way where I've decided to start Jacob Hopper because I'm worried about being left behind. Like I was in those first two rounds with George Hewitt. Now, on the other hand, there's Elliot Yo, who I, who, who I'm also not sold on, but I know that a fully fit Elliot Yo 
could can average 105, 110 and be a top six defender, top even top eight to 10 midfielder if he does reach 110 plus average. So hmm. I, it comes down, I think it comes down to what is this player going to produce and are you happy to miss out on it? And what does the extra cash from going for a mid-pricer or a cheaper midfielder or what it, whatever it is, is using that extra cash going to help your team more or less than if you have that player? So I, if you really don't want to start a player, you don't start that player, but totally. you're safer to play the percentages because in Jacob Hopper's case, there's 48% of people who of coaches who have that same player. So if it doesn't work out, that's almost half the teams having to deal with the same situation and having to move him on later down the track. Whereas if you go for someone like an Archie Perkins, who is currently all the hype of Twitter at the moment because he was a full-time <laughs> midfielder in Essendon's intra-club, and then he comes out and averages 60, but you're only, but and you're one of the three percent of teams that that have him. Then you might run into some issues because no one else, or not many other coaches, will have that player. Some good thoughts. Um, I got like five parallel like thought <laughs> lanes running through on all of that. Um, the first one would be, um, what's your motivation for why you play super coach? For some, you play for overall rankings. For some, you play for leagues. For some, you play just to stick it to your mates. For, for some, it's just a, a justification that you can say to your partner why you're watching nine games of football on a weekend <laughs> and not just your one team. Like, we all have different motivations for why we play the game. Once you know what your motivation is, um, it will give you an indicator right out of the gate. If you're just playing for fun, you're not picking players from teams you don't like, players you don't like, things that don't feel right because joy and fun and uh, in those are your primary drivers and motivators and that's totally okay to be able to do that. So so for me, that would probably be the first kind of thought bubble. Um, the second would be is um, whenever you go against or go with the grain, there is always an element of risk. Uh, but the risk is around what is the type of player? Is this a cash cow that you're going against? We had a question earlier about a guy looking for an economic point of difference in your cash counts. That's the wrong place to look for separation. Um, you're looking for generation of cash out of this. So um, if you don't want to go there because of an injury history, you don't like the guy, it doesn't just sit right in your gut and in intuition or there's something about it that smells off and you can't quite put a point on it. Um, I, I would say, is this a guy that's there as a moneymaker are they there as a stepping stone or are they there as a premium? Because if they're there as a premium, it's now about that guy versus your guy. And, and that's a different conversation as opposed to, you know, Damien, you talked about Hewitt, who is this perfect leapfrog that became the premium. But I think we all were going, oh, okay, this is just a guy that's a, a six to eight week hit in the veins. And then I'm going to jump off him and go through there. Let's put some names around this so that it doesn't sound vague and articulate. Um, let, let's talk about someone like a Jacob Hopper. Uh, let's talk about a, a Tim Taranto. With Tim Taranto, is he, if you don't start him, will that define your season? I don't believe so in Supercoach. Um, and part of that is because how he uses the ball, where he is at his strength, and can he over a six to eight week period take a season away from you when as you mentioned, Clarkie, you're kind of in the dilemma of Canelio or Taranto. Neither are really bad 
options to be considering. It's not like you're going Taranto versus Riley Thilthorpe. You, you're not, they're, they're not, they're apples and apples. They're the exact same sort of thing. And so it's then about the what brings you most joy, backing in your own intuition and research, listening to other people to help you see different things. But if, Clarkie, you've seen something, whether it be about you've got some doubts over the Richmond game style, you're unsure about what his disposal efficiency looks like, you don't even know what that midfield mix looks like, whatever that concern is for you, you've just got to be able to articulate it and then be able to go, is there somebody at a comparable price point that you believe will do the same? And if the answer is yes, back that research in. The only thing I would say off the back of that is this, is like Damo mentioned, if you start to see the narrative change to what you believed, don't be too proud to just dig your heels in and go and just pretend it doesn't exist. Which where for a mid-price guy, you can't do that. A bit different for a premium because you can go, man, it's two weeks, I'm backing my guy in, I'm backing my research. No problem. But if it's a yo, for example, and you're going to go against him, let, let's pick, um, maybe it's the wrong option, but let's pick a Salem. Some people are picking both and that's fine, but maybe you can't choose between one or the other. I like Yo. I think he's more likely to be a ton guy. And Salem has got an interrupted preseason with a thyroid. Yo doesn't. I'll back in Yo. Okay. After two weeks, what's your markers? What are your indicators? What do you need to see him do and believe? And if he's done that and you're against him, swallow your pride and jump. And that's okay. We got 36 trades this year. You've got trade boosts. You can make three trades a week really early in the season to make these correctional trades really, really simple. So, And then the last one I would say about that is uh, using Tom Mitchell as an example. This is one I've agonized a little bit across some formats. Do I go... Tom Mitchell? Do I go an LDU? Do I go a Tom Green? Do I, these bunch of guys, a Warner that are all in around the price point. The key is, would you rather bank on yourself being right? Or would you rather go with the crowd and be wrong? If you would rather bank on you and trust yourself, your research, your intuition, what you view and believe, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. But I can tell you the worst feeling in fantasy footy outside of a captaincy injury is you have this gut instinct about something not being right. And yet you let ownership or peer pressure from the community move you off your conviction. And anytime you let anyone in life or in fantasy footy move you off a well-founded conviction, not just something hypothetical, you're in a little bit of trouble. That's it. You can get some players that get to the point that they can take a season away from you and you better not go against them. They may or may not be number one in the 50 most relevant. That's all I'm saying. There, there does get a tipping point in ownership that a guy can ruin your year. Absolutely. Um, but there's only a handful of those that can do it in a season. Yeah, I think as well, it's important to remember that the the first trades that we make during the year, they're not anything other than correctional. Right. So it's like you said, it, it's it's as long as, you know, if if I if I'm not gonna go with Hopper and he starts firing, um, I'm not I'm gonna take from my previous experiences and not not back in a guy or not back in not having a guy when that option is there. It's it's the long it's part of the long game, I think. So, you know, it's not a waste of a trade if it improves your team. I think we've said that 
We said that many times, I think, last year during the year. Um, at the time, it felt like, Damo, you and I were trying to just cope. Um, just a gorgeous amount of copium for us as our teams <laughs> faltered a little bit. But um, it actually rings true now that I'm out the other side that it's never it's never a waste of a trade if it's improving your team yeah. by a dramatic amount. All right. That's all the questions for today. Thanks for joining us, MJ. Absolute pleasure you guys doing some brilliant stuff in the community and um, absolute pleasure to be on with you lads. Make sure you head over to the Coaches Panel website where you can check out the 50 most relevant podcasts and their written companion. And Clarky, thank you. It's always a pleasure. This is uh, this is a great experience for me. Just MJ, you have you have a way of podcasting that just really... Oh, it's got that little that chef's kiss to it. So I recommend <laughs> everybody... When you have finished listening to this, if you haven't before, if you are behind, if you, you know, you're only up to number 30, go and catch up to the 50 most relevant and continue listening throughout the year. Um, I love what you guys do over there at the Coaches Panel. It's uh, it's nice to have a collaboration with a, a group that we haven't had on before. That's, thank you, guys. It's been great. Use hashtag Jock Mailbag to get your question answered in the next episode and use code 9903600 to join the Jock Reynolds group. And we'll talk next time.